Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the Nostromo's uncoupling from the refinery and descent to the planet from Alien. I'm happy to say I'm also joined by special guest star Martin Bauer to gain an insight into some of the behind the scenes from this sequence. Greetings, exalted one. Hello, Andrew. Hi, it's good to be back. <laughs> good to have you back. Um, yeah. I, uh, I wasn't too I wasn't too sure after the silent running one whether you would want me back, but <laughs> oh come on, come on, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're putting yourself down. You know, it, it, it's always great to uh, um, speak to a fellow. Um, modeling geek you know right oh that's good yeah and i'm glad to have you here um because this is our first ever dip into the alien universe um yeah and, and it won't be the last for sure um but uh how old were you when the film came out and did you actually were you old enough to see it in the cinema no oh, i'd have um i'd have only been about 12 uh when it came out and I've, I've been trying to sort of work out some dates because it i remember seeing it in starburst when i was sort of 11 or 12, you know, the great pictures of this space jockey and things like that. Not so many of the ship, but many of the, you know, the suits, the jockey, things mm-hmm. like that. And then I've seen it on VHS. Now, I can't remember sort of how long after that would be from the cinema release. Now, I would assume back then it would be at least two years, if not two and a half, three years. Now, it wouldn't have been a pirate copy. It must have been a legit copy a friend of mine had this and um you know he'd, he'd made the copy somehow um but yeah i must have been about probably 14 or 15 by the time i actually got to see it i would imagine right right um have you actually yeah. seen it on on the big screen yeah i've seen it on the uh the re-release he did with the additional footage right. so i have i have seen it on the big screen yeah that was about 2005 i think that's right yeah uh, yeah the first time I've seen it, so yeah, there was a lot of movies similar to this, like The Thing, and you know, where I was too young at the time, but got to see them on various re-releases, which is always nice. It's always lucky to have that, yeah, because if you're, yeah, all you yeah. had was a television experience, it's not the same, is it? You know. Well, again, for years I only ever had the pan and scan experience. <laughs> That's until, even worse. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the the Fox start releasing the widescreen VHS is probably like in the. Mid, mid to late 90s I actually got seen in widescreen right. you know, which is like you know a whole new sort of movie again yeah, yeah, like, yeah, wow, yeah. stuff <laughs> happening at the sides yeah. Yeah, yeah it was the same when they did the uh, finally released the widescreen Star Wars there's all this stuff going off to the left and the right that we'd never seen or yeah. totally forgotten from when we saw it years before in the yeah. cinema wasn't it yeah well I think that initial set that released was the three Star Wars it was uh, Alien, and I think it might have been Die Hard. It was like the first oh, five right. widescreen oh, films right. I've bought, and I was just like blown away by them all. Right. You know, it was amazing to sort of see, like you said, things you'd never seen before or forgot about. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I, I, I always remember when Aliens came out, you know, all, all my friends, they went to see it. And, you know, a lot of the staff at the cinema, they saw it and they went, oh, this is fantastic. This is so much better than Alien. And I said, well, when did you see Alien? And it's like, oh, I saw it on ITV. Um, yeah. And it's like, so you're comparing a film you've just seen on a 35 foot wide screen with Dolby stereo and everything to something you've watched on television in your living room on your pokey telly with all the lights on. You can't <laughs> with advert yeah. breaks. You can't you, you, you can't compare the two experiences, can you? No, but uh, the sequence we're going to talk about, funnily enough, I used to um, have a friend and his sister, the friend who had, you know, the video record we didn't at the time. And um I always remember, like, he went away for possibly a week or a fortnight, and I was given the task of going over and sort of keeping an eye on the house and feeding the rabbit. And I just used to remember, sort of, every time I went over, I'd say to my mum, I'm going over to feed the rabbit. And then I'd sort of say, I'll be back in about half an hour, though. And I'd actually, like, put Alien on it. It was nearly always this bit <laughs> I would watch. It was this sequence we're going to talk about, the chestburster, uh, probably a bit at the end when, you know, the aliens blast out the airlock, and mm-hmm. I just sort of became sort of obsessed with just watching those bits you know they were so great mm-hmm. and still are so yeah well we're, we're going to go into the clip then let's let, let's go ahead and go into the clip um okay but i i'd like to urge folk uh who's who's listening to this to if they can try and listen to it uh through headphones um because i've never done that before even though i've seen alien in the cinema and you know in all the different formats over the years i've never watched it with headphones on and it was a revelation, you know, listening to this clip ready for the show. Um, I was fully aware of all the dialogue that's going on, you know, um, um, as they're getting ready to, you know, disengage in that. Yeah. I've already heard that. Um, and I knew there was some sort of background chatter. Um, but without the headphones, it kind of gets like pushed into the mix along yeah. with the music and sound effects. Listening to it with the headphones on, there's all this other dialogue going on, you know, recorded by, you know, the actual uh, mm. actors. So you've got Parker coming out with things saying about marking the shift into a secondary generator and Ashes going on about the grids are in energized. And it's a bit it's a bit like when you watch you get so used to a film watching it a certain way that when you get to see it again a different way and it's exactly the same but there's something new it's like when um they re-released the original mad max um, yeah. i was so used to that with the american dubbed voices that to, the, to then hear it in the original australian language was just mind-blowing you know yeah, it's amazing that after sort of the, this amount of years with a lot of these movies, is you can still watch them and listen to them and find things that you've never noticed. You know, it's like you think you should know these films inside out by now, but honestly, you know, they they literally are worth watching again and again yeah. and again because you just always notice something different or yeah. hear something. But I, I've I've got the utmost respect for all all the creatives that. that were working on this film but to listen to this and just listen to the amount of effort and you, you, you know that was put into that the amount of work that had gone into that that's usually lost also of course you know 1979 very few yeah. cinemas actually had uh, stereo in their theaters so everybody was listening to it in mono so there's no way mm. you would have heard all this but they went to all this trouble of putting this in you know this is what sets this sort of movie apart from, you know, your kind of Roger Corman Galaxy of Terror type movie, you know, which is still a fun little movie, but this has got so many layers. Mm. You know, it's it's like I've often said the, the sort of the, the set design and things, you've got layers and layers of stuff which have been built 
that are in the background, which you don't really focus on. But without those layers, it would be a bare set. Mm. You know, it's almost that attention to detail. It's that real-world sort of thing of just, you know, instead of having just like a sparse set with a couple of pipes and a couple of control panels, the stuff just going on on the sets. And like you said, in the sound, mm. which is just sort of beyond comprehension to be able to take in. But without it, you would miss it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of attention. Star, Star Wars had it. You know, the Millennium Falcon could have just easily been a superficial kind of ship, you know, inside with just corridors and things. But it's those pipes, it's those mm. reeblies that just bring it to life. Yeah. And you talk um, about sets there, and of course Ridley Scott, he took that to the nth degree, didn't he, with with, yeah. with, with the sets on Blade Runner. That could yeah. have been quite a sparse, he, you, you know, the, 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 the lot that they filmed that on, he could have just put a few, you know, fascias on, and that would have done. But no, not for him. Yeah. He did layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And, you, and again, you watch that now, and there's always something new to see, isn't there? Yeah, and I think that's why some of these movies just hold up so well. And why you look back at other movies from this kind of era. A, a classic example is obviously things like the Book Rogers TV series, which looks kind of quite of its time. Mm. You know, you, you really look at that and go, oh, that's obviously like late 70s, early 80s. Mm. Films like Alien and 2001, you can look at, and that could have been made yesterday still. Yeah. You know, it is that kind of good. Yeah, it's so, the same with Star Wars. If you take, uh, if you kind of ignore Luke Skywalker's haircut and mm. some of the sideburns, um, yeah, yeah, that's timeless as well, isn't it? Yeah, which is, funnily enough, you know, um, obviously the, the, the sequel to this uh, was Aliens, and he did that kind of thing where the people have got the kind of the collars, the weird mm. of collars, which had a very sort of 1960s, 2001 UFO throwback. Yeah. So he's kind of doing something which is futuristic but also retro. So hopefully it should sort of stay timeless because... I don't know. I've got a bit of a problem with Reese's uh, um, shoulder pads. They, he's got a bit of an 80s uh, look to his shoulder pads there, I think. All right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, let's, anyway. Uh, let, let's yeah. go ahead and uh, go into the clip. As I say, folks, if you've got headphones, now's the time to plug them in. So let's go. Equatorial orbit nailed. Nine. Eight seconds on to section. Grid's energized, feels like the stock ship in the secondary generator. Four. The DOR is in line. How's the status on the lifters? Give me an AC pressure reading. Forty-eight seconds. Turbine stable. Ready to disengage from platform. Mark. Disengage. safe let's take you down right so we start with the planet in the distance and the refinery comes overhead 
and looking at it today, it looks a bit like a Star Destroyer the way it comes over. Um, now, I know Ridley Scott was a, a fan of Star Wars, and that's kind of like what got him into thinking about doing a science fiction film. But do you think this is a crib? Mm, it's, it's kind of like half Star Wars, half 2001, isn't it? Mm. He's kind of using that. The, the, the Star Wars is much more impactive. The ship's rocketing over. This is much more of a... It's just gliding over the camera, isn't it? Yeah, you it's know, more it's, gentle, isn't it? It, yeah, it, it is more like 2001. And the camera's not so close to the underbelly as well. I think those domes are kind of, you know, w- wouldn't work so good close up. So, it, yeah, it, it's it's a take on that. But I wouldn't sort of say, you know, you could compare the two. Yeah, um, and, and, and even if it was, I mean, it wasn't a cliche at that point because, you know, I don't know when they started the, uh, the, the, the model photography for Alien, how soon after Alien that was. I mean, you know, after, mm. uh, sorry, Star, Star Wars. After Star Wars, of course, you had an awful lot of films that, that did crib the beginning, and, and some yeah. of them were quite blatant, you know, the, uh, yeah. the likes of Star Crash and... The humanoid. And, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. humanoid. Yeah, so, uh, no, I, I think it's a homage rather than the crib, and yeah. if it's uh, to anything, it's 2001. I think you're right. Yeah. What one thing you do notice with the, the shot where the ship's kind of coming in and heading towards the planets, the refinery, is it's it's using the same technique obviously Johnson used on Space 1999, where they're actually filming the stuff and kind of rewinding it and adding the stars onto the original negative, which means you always get this thing where the stars are everywhere except where the model's going to be. Yes. <laughs> so you, you do often get in certain shots in Alien, you know, this kind of thing we used to get with Eagle Transport. It's almost like, I can tell where that ship's going to travel yeah. because there's no stars in that space. There's a long, um, long corridor of no stars just yeah. where the Eagle so happens to yeah. be going. <laughs> and this is just purely because everything's done in camera. And, you know, yeah. obviously, if this was a sequence shot against blue screen, um, it would have had a different look. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the, 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 the ship here has got a completely different look in terms of its lighting and uh, the quality to what came a few years earlier with Star Wars, which was motion control. Hmm. Um, you know, and they are two different types of types of movies. Obviously, one's a sci-fi fantasy, and this is sci-fi. Um, so, you know, I can see why they the went that route. And I think good on them, because it's a different style of shot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, I think it, it works fine. It works great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not only a different type of shot. The, the, the lighting is completely different. This is so dark, isn't it, compared yeah, to, yeah. like, the brightness of Star Wars? You know? Yeah, it's kind of key, key lit with very little fill. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's that kind of, um, you know, all the sunlight's coming from one direction. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, then we, we kind of obviously um, go to that beautiful sort of map painting of all of the planets and... You've got this um, sort of ringed planet, and then the smaller moons, and you sort of really at that point not too sure which one I actually do land on, are you? Yeah, that's right. That's the shot where you've got the tiny refinery in there as well. To yeah, give it a uh, very I, light, I, brightly lit. I, I always think about that. It's like they're obviously in the shadow of that large planet, but the the refinery and the Nostromo are incredibly brightly lit in that one shot. Yeah, the sun's just kind of creeping around the edge of the planet with the uh, ring. Um, is that I, I was never too sure whether that was either a tiny, tiny miniature or whether it was just like again painted on a separate sheet of glass and just. Oh, I think of, it's a glass shot. Just I like think. Slid, slid. Yeah. Yeah, and then they flood it with light, so it blurs out any of the detail, and then you don't have to worry about it looking yeah. like what it is. Yeah. 
Um, did you notice just before that, when you're when they're inside the cockpit and you see everyone getting ready for the descent, the thing about the cat photo, the photo of Jones? No. Yeah, when when, when you see all the, the graphics and the greeblies and the screens and that, um, right. you see one of the screens and, and to the right, there's a photo of Jones, okay? Oh, yeah, like, I think I've... Is it like a little kind of black and white picture? Yeah, it's a, almost like a, a Victorian. Yeah, it's like a Victorian-style sepia photo. Um, but I can't remember if it's just before or after that shot. You actually see Ash. So the inference is he's got the photo of Jones by his monitor. Right. Okay. okay and it's yeah. like, well, that's a bit odd. But later on, when you see Ripley say turbulence, it then yeah. cuts to her screen and. Uh, there's the photo again. So it looks like Ripley has the photo of Jones as a kitten and not Ash. You know? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's that weird attention to detail of, you know, who who would notice that, really? Who goes to first, that length, yeah. On, on the first viewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, weird. <laughs> um, um, when you're seeing all the crew getting ready and, you know, they're going through all that chatter and everything, you see Ash's viewpoint. He's looking out of uh, a window, yeah. Um, and I, I always used to think that that was his little blister, but it's not. His little blister is somewhere underneath near one of the landing legs, isn't it? Yeah, the, the kind of the bridge has got like two identical kind of blister windows on either side, hasn't it? Yeah, they're uh, the ones that it, 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 it's obvious it's some sort of like uh, aircraft canopy. Yeah. From, I don't know, 124 scale plane or something like that. And it's stuck on its side. Yeah. And they've replicated it here where you see Ian home in his seat. You've got the grid work of that of that window. But it means he's the only one really that's actually got an outside view. Or everybody else is looking just at their monitors. Yeah, I think whoever's on the opposite side of the ship to him has probably had the equally the same view. But yeah, yeah, um, it might be La Lambert, I suppose. Yeah, uh, but it is very weird. It's it's almost kind of like if you remember one of Ron Cobb's original designs for the Nostromo Bridge, it was a view screen. Very, very sort of Star yeah. Trek, you know? Yeah, it was huge, and, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's almost like the windows are there purely for an aesthetic thing. I don't think they need them to land. You know, everything's done instrumentation. Mm. Um, it's almost like, you know, you you would assume in, in some respects. Um, now, I, say I haven't actually seen Prometheus, but I do believe that the ship in that has almost kind of a similar blister window, but I mm. think it has protective kind of um, shutters. I don't remember. Um, I, I, it's a long time since it, I saw it. It might be on the it might be on the design work, but it's a similar type of thing. You think that it would have some kind of protective shutters as it's going through the atmosphere, which could yeah. then open up once they're on the planet. But yeah. yeah, I don't think the windows are necessarily necessary to the sequence. No, no, they're not focused on. So mm. anyway, the, uh, the the docking arm starts moving out. It extends away, uh, yeah. um, and then uh, we have the clamps go, um, and uh, she starts dropping. Yeah, which is just, I mean, that whole sequence with the docking arm coming out, you know, was just, there's, I think there's quite a lot of stars actually in that shot, if I remember right. Mm. I don't know whether that was ever rotoscoped around. Maybe they the did some hand rotoscoping around some of the shots. I don't um, know. I don't think any of the stars were actually on set, whether I think everything was shot against black velvet. and. I don't like think that. so. I don't think so. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's a great shot. Yeah, uh, so it drops. Uh, the engines fire up. Um, yeah, which is the, which is always that's my favourite shot in the entire sequence. And I think hmm. even as a sort of kid or teenager, I kind of seen the logic behind that. You know, the engines fire, 
just enough to give the ship the momentum to go forward and then they go yeah. off. Yeah. It was it wasn't this Millennium Falcon type thing where the engine's constantly on or the Star Trek yeah. thing. It was kind of yeah, boom. And, and it gives off. it the push to nudge it down, yeah. just like in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 the way they actually flare, illuminate, and then sort of just slowly dull down, isn't it? You know, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Anyway, we get a very slow port yaw to the ship, um, and you see it turning towards the uh, planet. Can't I, I can't tell in that shot. I don't know if that's a map painting of the planet or are they doing I, i've seen it referred to once in 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 the making ofs is that they were doing the thing again what brian johnston used to do on space 1999 which is you have a ball and you project a planet's image onto the ball because yeah. it, it, it looked too i don't know what's the right word it, it didn't look like a map painting you haven't it didn't have that that fuzziness around the edge of the planet it looked like it was actually there on set with the model of the nostromo yeah because the lights kind of almost emerges doesn't it as the shot mm. is happening as it's tilting the, the lights kind of come around and what it's one one of these things as well as the nostromo's obviously kept to the left hand side of the frame in the dark area mm. but as the orange does creep around you do see that slight bleed on to the uh, right hand side engine almost like you can see it's a double exposure. Um, I always notice this on the um, on the Blu-ray, and if you just watch, it's very subtle, but the orange does bleed slightly through the the engine mm -hmm. uh, because, say, you know, it is it is all in the same exposure except the ship's kept into the dark part. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's again, it's fab fabulous miniature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, and it, it it looks great. It looks great as it starts descending through the atmosphere as well, and that's when we get um, an awful lot of uh, smoke and wind, um, which of course Ridley Scott said was used to actually hide the fact that they didn't want to or, or they couldn't, you know, uh, film yeah. this part of of the landing with yeah. the stars there. You know, one one, one thing which always kind of. Um puzzle me a little bit like what you said about the windows you get these kind of point of view shots almost of like a schematic and you can see on either side kind of two model pieces sticking in almost like antennae mm -hmm. and there's graphics running and it's weird because you can see the crescent of the, the, the thing of the planet you can see these two physical model things sticking in either side which are meant to be obviously aerials but then there's a graphic overlaid on the top of it mm. Now I'm not too sure again whose monitor that's meant to be on. Hmm. Um, it's it's a I think it's Ash who's kind of cutting in between those shots, so it's probably meant to be his monitors. Right. Um, but yeah, all of the sort of stuff with the, uh, the buffeting and the wind, and there's great sort of behind the scenes stuff which we'll talk about in a bit of that on the DVD. Hmm. Yeah. And then and, and then we get the landing lights coming on as they're uh, almost there. That's an awful lot of landing lights, is it? You see, it, it, when they come on, you can see the landing legs and the landing feet. Yeah. And, and, and they're huge. The amount that are on the underside of that ship is incredible. Yeah, the, the, the weird, aren't they? Because you've got these kind of three main sort of floodlights and then you've got these what look just like little kind of weird kind of dots of yes. lights almost just running down and... And I mean, you've you've seen the stills yourself probably, but there was originally going to be like a massive array of underneath lighting, mm. almost like close encounters of the third That's kind. Exactly what scale. I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, which was just like you think, wow, what's going on? It's like it's like a a disco coming into land. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And have have you seen that shot of when they were 
that they'd laid out the lighting rig all the fluorescence uh, on on there i have to put it up on facebook before they you know start putting all the greeblies on but yeah mm. it's it's quite a uh uh a, uh involved setup that they had yeah. for that yeah i assume like you know in the sort of the wider shots where it's coming into land again it was probably a forklift lowering it down they're just blasting with so much smoke and dust in there it's just kind of masking it out mm. yeah uh, yeah the the with the landing jets free on free on gas yeah i think they were yes yeah. yeah but anyway it's almost there and and that's my favorite uh shot is when you have this heads-on view of the nostromo it's a massive final shot of the nostromo yeah. just before it lands that's a beautiful yeah. shot that is beautiful yeah just just before the actual landing leg kind of sort of lands on the rock or whatever and it sets all yeah. alarms off and things yeah great it's amazing view. isn't it yeah. yeah yeah it's it's just one of those kind of compost shots where it's like it's, it's got this huge kind of clump of rock at the left hand side so you're not getting like a full front on view it's slightly masked mm. but yeah it's just immense isn't it you know how big the ship is yeah and, and it's lit so well you wouldn't believe you know uh that it was a miniature you would think that that was an awful lot bigger than the actual you, you know filming miniature was yeah yeah uh there was three filming miniatures, I believe, wasn't there? Sort of yeah, this, this yeah. was the largest. This the is the big miniature. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, that's it. The big leg touches down. Uh, it touches the one <laughs> rock that seems to throw, <laughs> yeah. throw them out completely. Um, and, and, and we have touchdowns. So that's where we're going to end the sequence because then we're into back into the interior yeah. uh, for, for a while. Um, so let's go on to behind the scenes. Right. Now, I'm very happy to say that uh, for part of the behind the scenes, um, I thought it'd be nice to go to the man himself, Martin Bauer, who uh, was involved an awful lot in this uh, sequence, uh, just for his recollections. Um, So here we go uh, with a talk that I had with him a couple of days ago. Uh, Martin, you've said before that the original design had the Nostromo having three huge arms which opened uh, before right. before Ridley Scott came up with the idea of it being almost a giant hand pushing the Nostromo yeah. away. Um, did yeah. you ever see the original design? Yeah, well, um, we made it. What? The uh, large um, uh, front of the Nostromo, we made, you know we made an enlarged front, which you actually see in the final film. Yeah. Well, on that, on that, on, on that section, it had three six-inch diameter tubes, uh, which were approximately 12 foot long. Um, they were bent, right? They sort of went about six foot, then they bent, and then another six foot, so that they looked like they were three, almost like crab claws, sort of going outwards up into the air and then downwards so that the three of them met on top of the Nostromo. Okay. And then they would swing open... The idea was they would swing open and release the Nostromo that way, and then the Nostromo would pull away. Right. But it looked awful because on scale, the at the scale that that model was, which was a very approximately 124 scale, um, the problem was that it would have worked out that these arms were hundreds of feet long, and they just would not have well, it wouldn't have sounded right, and we wouldn't have looked right, and the audience would think, you know, they just look daft. Yeah. 
Right. And the general opinion of myself and several other people were that they were they just didn't look good. Um, I think that the large that the, the complete refinery model, um, which was probably it's very difficult to scale these things because Ridley came along and, and immediately halved the scale, doubled the scale, I should say, um, by sticking extra windows on. Mm-hmm. It had it had six inch long windows on the front. Then he came along and put two and a half inch windows on the front, which immediately made yeah. it a model twice the size. Um, but yeah, the, the, these things were on the little model as well, right? Right. So on the main main refinery model as well, um, and it was shot on like that um, when Brian Johnson was doing it, um, and we had no warning of this. That um, one one day Brian was there, the next day. Um, we heard that he'd um, run into problems with um, 20th Century Fox wanting him to work on Empire Strikes Back and get it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, they got him working on Aliens. So they called him over to the States, and Nick Alder, um, his sort of second in command, um, sort of was, he was still left behind, and he used to do most of the mechanical stuff anyway. And Ridley Scott turned up. And he didn't sort of, sort of introduce himself or anything. We just found this guy was sort of walking around the workshop. We kind of guessed it was him, but we never officially got introduced um, or named or anything like that. But, but, but we were a good six months working with him, and he just reshot everything. But the first thing he did when he got to the model shop was, uh, as everybody knows, pick up a hammer and started mm-hmm. knocking bits off. Um, now you, you want to talk about the, uh, the the front section in particular well luckily he had the same opinion that, that we did and he said for God's sake take those things off or words of that <laughs> it, it didn't say it quite in that way yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad said, you said that this is a PG yeah, rated show <laughs> yeah he, he said, he said um, you know take those awful things off because uh, I was I'm never so pleased I was, never, I was so pleased I thought, thank God for that. They look absolutely dreadful. You know, just like great long drain pipes. And uh, anyway, um, that kind of got sidelined because we were working and changing so many other things, such as the refinery model. Hmm. Um, we had um, sides of the refinery, which had were covered in detail. And of course, all the spires that he'd wanted all got knocked off. Hmm. Um, but then he came to the came to the crunch of how are we going to do the front, and I was with I kind of got put up to be supervising model maker somehow, um, mainly because I'd worked with Nick on Space 1999, and he knew that I didn't need an awful lot to go on to, to be able to visualise what was needed. And so he called me into a, a, one of the offices at Bray, and I went in there, and Ridley Scott was there, introduced me properly to him. Um, that's when I really got to kind of to know him. And he said, he said, look, guys, he said, I, I, that, that, that docking system's frankly awful. He said, I've got, how about this for an idea? And he kind of, he always wore that jacket all the time, that bomber oh, jacket. Oh, the bomber jacket, yeah. Yeah, and he, he pulled like, he I can't remember whether he took it off or he pulled his sleeve up, but he, he put his hand out like a claw upside down. Imagine, if you can imagine it, mm. you're holding a crab upside down. 
okay, so that the, 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 the so that his hands, his fingers were hanging down, mm. right? And he said, "How about this? This this is imagine that this is like a, a docking arm, right? And it's got a set of um, clamps all the way around it, which fit on the top section where we've got that seven-sided piece on the top." Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it's seven sided pieces. It's, it's odd odd number anyway. Um, and we have it where the the Nostromo is pushed away from the refinery by um, an extremely complicated and detailed arm, approximately thirty feet long. Now that's thirty feet in actual size, yeah. just the, the the model size between twenty and thirty feet. Um, I never measured it with a tape measure. It may be a bit more, but maybe a bit less, but it was very long. And on the end of it, um, Nicky Alder, our special effects guy, um, who was who was left working on it, he basically got the steel together and he made um, two sections. One was a section, that, a large section that came out from the refinery, and then running inside that was another section so that it kind of telescoped out. Mm-hmm. And then on the end of it was this uh, box, which many people will have seen in pictures, um, a multi-sided box. And, of course, the, the joke is, and we never realized it when we were making it, but uh, the one kit that we had that... Uh, <laughs> I can hear you. I know what's coming up. Shackling yep. <laughs> away. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we were trying to think, well, you know, we've got seven sides here to cover, and they've all got to be the same, and they've all got to have working clamps, and there's two clamps on each face. Now, one of the faces, obviously, has got the arm attached to it, right? Mm-hmm. So what we do is we've got, we've got the Nostromo held in this clamp, Right, pushed our way from the refinery, and then at a certain distance, the clamp goes, opens, and the view of that is from underneath, mm-hmm. right? And then they cut back to a shot inside, and then you see a shot back again outside. The arm is retracted in, in that time, mm-hmm. but the model that's hanging there here in front, with, ready for its engines to fire, is the half-size model. right which means it looks like it's drifted away into space a bit too, a bit further. It's the old forced right? perspective thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, and, and the, the clever bit was that nobody realised that the model that they'd seen pushed away, which was the large Nostromo, the complete, large, complete Nostromo, the one that landed on the planet, it wasn't that one. It was a half-sized version of that that we had that was actually hanging in space there and all, with, all its um, engines wired up with tungsten or halogen uh, car headlamp bulbs. Right. And they all, they all lit up and uh, just briefly. And, and as you know, it starts, it, they flare up and then they go off because that's all you need. And of course, that, and that set the Nostromo on its course with the planet. Right. You say about the clamps there, the clamps going psh, an opening. Um, were, were they mechanised or was that a stop motion or, or something? There's a... Oh, no, 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 no. No, there's a, there was a company called Kunky, K-H-U-N-K-E. Mm. I think it was pronounced Kunky. Um, we'd used them on Space 1999. They were wonderful. They were kind of like a, bit like a Meccano set for big boys. Um, and what it had in it, it had a whole set of different sized rams, 
and they were air rams which right. would respond to the air in a in a say a bottle of um airbrush plenum. Right. Um <clears throat> but how however um essentially uh, the first thing that I did was to uh, go, we're sort of jumping ahead of here a bit. Um, going back to this this meeting with with Ridley, um, he did a quick squiggle, and it really was a quick squiggle. And so he said, uh, "Go away and see what you can come up with." So I went out and I did this quick drawing, which I think I've still got somewhere. I, 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 yeah, I've seen it. It, it. It's rare for you, though, isn't it, to do sketches? Because I know yeah, you've said before yeah. everything's in your head, and it's quite rare for you to actually sketch yeah, something in advance. Yeah, because he wanted to see what, see what I, I, I'd come up with. Right. Uh, I, did, I think there's two versions of it. There's one's a sort of side view, and the other one's a sort of three-quarter. It looks like it's got a threepenny Brit on the top, you know? <laughs> or the and new pound coins, as they are. Eh? The new pound coins look like threepenny bit, bits now oh, as well, don't no. they? Yeah, yeah, especially you knock the middle out as well. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, and... Um, he got, he okayed it straight away. Um, in no time at all, Nick had constructed this massive long um, arm, mm-hmm. which was, of course, had to be balanced on one end um, because it wasn't attached to the actual refinery. Um, it was sitting above the large-scale refinery. This is incredibly difficult to describe mm-hmm. um, without visuals. Um, the arm actually sat on the top of the refinery, but the front of the refinery sloped downwards very slightly. Right. When it came down to those three huge docking ports that covered the main engines, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And above that, sticking straight out, was this arm, and on the end of it was the sh- this shape that Nick had made out of very thick perspex. Right. Um, and that was it. And essentially, what we had to do, and not me in particular, and in fact, it ended up with Stuart Rose of the art department and me. There's a photograph somewhere I've seen of us working on it. And what we had to do was to get the clamp looking really like it did the business. Mm. One of which meant that we ended up using these uh, R2-D2 um, feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't realise they were going to have a full screen shot of this. Um, <laughs> or we might have been a bit you know, <laughs> but bearing in mind what was to come later on, I mean, uh, the, the detailing wasn't quite up to what it could have been. However, um, yeah, um, the, these arms, the, the first thing we had to get right was the fact that these things would fire open. Mm-hmm. And so Nick rigged up um, a long cable to a much more powerful pneumatic system. And when he, when he turned it on, all the arm, or all, all the six sides of the, because one arm, you've got to imagine one, one clamp's missing off, off, off of the, uh, the hand, as it were, that's holding Nostromo, because that's attached to the arm. Right. So then you've got sort of this, where they all open, okay? So they would do that, and then Nostromo would drop down. Now that was done. Um, in the um, on the stage with a forklift truck plugged into the side of it, covered in black velvet, and it not only pulled the Nostromo away because 
the arm wasn't powered. The arm was powered by the by the forklift truck pulling a, a, mm. the Nostromo away, running on very smooth rails. And right from the beginning, um, Brian Johnson had had, had um, steel box uh, sections fitted to the, the the side, the back, the front, so that we could plug into this model. As indeed, this was the same with the many of the models on Space 1999. They had several mounting points. Mm-hmm. And the, the mounting points on the back of Nostromo were on the starboard side, which you actually never saw in the film. Mm. So the model wasn't actually detailed on that side uh, very much at all. Um, we really were working to uh, what was going to appear on the screen. Uh, I mean, this happens with many films. You know, you don't make the bit that isn't going to be seen. Yeah, sure. It's a waste of time. But we did make we did make the whole of this clamp thing, and uh, then we detailed it to make it look like the the, the things that was making the clamp work um, were like R two D two legs stuck on, um, but masses of other detail as well. And then we decorated these clamps, these clunky clamps, and there were two on each face of the uh, hand. Mm. I call it the hand for now, because that's the way it is, the way, Nick, the way Ridley described it. Mm-hmm. So you've got this, this, this... If you can imagine that we start off, we've got the shot, right? It starts to push the Nostromo away, and of course the soundtrack is great, because you've got Mother counting down. Yeah, sure. Like 10, 9, and the, and the music coming up which makes it incredibly spooky, and it was shot in very low, sharp-angled light. Um, and that's actually, as I say, it's got this forklift truck plugged into the Nostromo. You can't see it because it's got covered in black velvet. And it's pulling the Nostromo out. And as it does so, the, uh, the arm comes along with it, right? Mm-hmm. Then it runs out. So we had to detail the inner arm as well as the outer arm so that um, it would be detailed um, and look realistic. You couldn't just leave it smooth. It had to be detailed so that it looked like it did the business. And it would push the, the Nostromo right out to its fullest extent, uh, probably about 15 feet out now away from the refinery. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, Nick would turn on the gas and the clamps would all open and then it would cut away and then that that would that shot would then be cut mm-hmm. and after that um the camera angle was changed to underneath and the large model was taken away and the half size model was brought in which had the lecture, the um the uh jets with the lights in mm-hmm. um but it, you 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 wouldn't know because it looked exactly the same but like it was a little bit further away yeah, it sure. didn't look like it was another model um, and well, that's basically how we did it. But what is interesting is, apart from the R2-D2 thing, there was a lot of other detail on there that nobody recognised. There was a great deal of girder work, mm-hmm. very small girders running along that thing, or along that arm. And right at the beginning um, of the film, um, Bill, Bill Pearson and myself had gone to um, one, a model shop um, which we knew of, um, tucked away in a little uh, backwater somewhere. And we walked around this place, and we, we were trying to find things that would do 
you know, would look would look really nice and re- when they're repeated. And we were walking around and we couldn't really find anything. And then sort of, I don't know who saw it, but we noticed that there were these packets of Hornby, Hornby Railways, inclined piers. <laughs> right, and if yeah. you want to know what an inclined pier is, it's uh, to imagine that a train has got to climb up onto a level um, and in real life, it would be quite tall, but on the railway model, the highest incline pier was about two inches. Mm-hmm. And in that two inches were several crisscrosses of girder work. And in each one, you only got two of the right size. And then you got two slightly smaller, two slightly smaller, two slightly smaller than that. Right? So we had a huge um, range of heights. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you follow what I mean, yeah. it, it, it sloped down. Now, because we only wanted the large ones, really. So in the end, we said to the guy in the shop, how many of these have you got in stock? And he said, oh, how many do you want? I, we said, well, uh, we probably want about 30 of them. And this guy sort of like, you know, what? <laughs> we said, well, about 30 of them. That's a heck of a um, railway track, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, said, he, he did make some comments about you've got a big railway. And we said, oh, they're not for a railway track. And he very quickly cottoned on because subsequently we found out that this guy was giving us a good discount. And, of course, also he was he was supplying all these kit parts for yeah, Alien. Sure. Nothing, <laughs> and that included the two, 200 Airfix space shuttles as well. And I think he thought it was Christmas. You know, um, he retired anyway, early shortly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. Well, we were on the film for over a year, um, so we had at least one Christmas. Um, but yeah, um, what we did was we went, took these pieces back and we stood these little um, crisscross like pier things. How can I describe this thing? You can see them in the film, you can see these like little crisscross girders all mm-hmm. the way along the, the arm right. as it comes out. And they look perfect. And we could only use the two large ones. But I say with like 30 kits, it was enough to decorate about 20 foot of um, gotcha. arm. <laughs> I mean, um, regarding all the detailing and that, were, were the uh, obligatory Tamiya kits used at all? Were you using military kits for the detailing of it? Yeah, we we used um, on the front face of the extremely large um, model of the refinery. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to explain. The, we the front of the refinery, right? That was the complete refinery model. Mm-hmm. Nostromo was only seventeen inches long right. for that scale. So we had to build the front of the refinery in scale with the eight-foot model of Nostromo that was pushed away. Mm-hmm. Now, this meant that we had to make a detailed front of the refinery. Right. And to do that, we bought, oh, I don't know how many we bought, but we went out and we found some really nice tank kits. Um, I think they were Centurion or somebody will tell me I'm wrong, but <laughs> it, was one of, it was one of the many Tamiya kits which you could use virtually every part of. And what we did was we... we um, where did we use them? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, there, were a sh- uh, there was a chassis box 
right. that we first found that was good. Now, the detailing was really large on the front, but also, of course, we had to make it fine as well to show that these this wasn't a large-scale front. A man mm-hmm. was like a ooh, an inch high right. compared with this, right? Or well, not even that. So on the front, I, I found that if we left the axle box, uh, the, there was holes through these um, chassis, right? And we found that we could get an EMA plastic tube and run them all the way through mm-hmm. so that it joined all the boxes together. Gotcha. And it looked really good because um, if you look carefully at some of the pictures uh, of the of the uh, front, you can see that there are these big chunky pieces stuck in between three large round sections. Right. Those three round sections have all got boxed EMA, EMA plastics, mm-hmm. plastic boxes all the way round. So in other words, it gave it a nice um, kind of... Um, detailed, edged, rather than just an ordinary, round, boring, plastic tube that plugged into the back of Nostromo. Mm -hmm. You had a much more detailed, uh, triple uh, set of tubes, and the ends of the detailing on that, those were done with um, 124-scale Tamiya tanks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But we generally found that we used a massive amount of EMA and to those who don't know, EMA stands for Engineering Model Associates. Um, they used to be a brilliant company, but they've been taken over now, and they've 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 st- stopped a lot of the stuff they made. Oh, have they? Um, but in All right. the, hmm? Have they? Have they? I, I haven't used them for uh, oh, no, three or four no, years now. They've gone and reduced the thickness of the wall, so instead of them all sliding nice and neatly inside each other, which was the whole point of them, right. they've now cut the walls to half the thickness. Oh, they are paying just as much money, or more, actually far more money, um, for for a tube that's half as thick. Oh. And also, of course, it's not nearly as strong. Right. Because you know you could sit on you get a six inch piece of six inch diameter tube, and if you were to stick a bit of perspex on the top, right, and then you, and got somebody who could sit sit like a, a, a guy doing his karma, you know, sitting yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. He could have sat on that. Yeah. And it wouldn't have broken because the tube was so strong. Yeah, that's um, a shame. It's a shame. It is. It is a shame that they've, cut, they've, they've done this. Um, but anyway, it, this wasn't the case then. Um, we used the EMA to, to get these, these square box sections. And I think going all the way around these tubes, um, there were probably about 30 around each one. So you've got like 90 pieces cut to size mm-hmm. going all the way around these, these docking tubes, which went with the engines. They went over the engines and covered them. Right. Because what you actually see on the screen is you see the, the, um, the countdown and you start to see the Nostromo move away. And as it goes away, um, you see these, the side of these tubes, which have come up, have slid off of the engines. Yeah. So it was very important that the, the fault lift truck didn't drop at all. It did it in a really straight line, and the model was incredibly heavy, which right. is why one of the reasons we had a fault lift truck to, to carry it. And uh, the Nostromo would just cli- glide away really beautifully, slide out to its maximum length, mm-hmm. fire the jets, open, opens the clamps, uh, cut the shot, change to one from underneath, 
change the size of the model and put the small model there instead, which just meant it looked like it was a little bit further away. And the quick burst on the lights to make them look like they've the jets have fired. And that was it. That was right. the undocking sequence. Wow. Which is very, very, very different from these three arms which sprung open. Yeah, sure. Which looks hysterically silly. Yeah. What, what, what do you think of it? Watching it now, the, the, the effect sequence um, of the undocking, are, are you still pleased with it now? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's one of the... There are a lot of effects in there um, which I'm glad that Ridley didn't use. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if anybody's seen Spaceballs, they'll know how they did, the, did a Mickey, a Mickey yeah, take yeah. on Star Wars and on Alien, yeah. whereby they got this spaceship that went on and on and on and on and on, you know. <laughs> um, we all thought it was really funny, but um, some people just didn't get the joke, of course, at all. Yeah, sure. Um, you needed to have seen the films. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Ridley didn't go right the way along. He only shot about four feet of the underside, which was good because the back part of the Nostromo model was detailed... Um, by some people we got there who were basically straight out of university mm-hmm. and Brian had hired them sort of for helping hands but one of them in particular um, he he just had no idea at all of how to do detailing on models mm-hmm. and I, I, to this day I've only know probably what not even half a dozen people who can do this kind of modeling where they can just m- instinctively make a nice little piece that was just clunky you know thing that looked like it did something the key to the key to the detailing is getting it that's that it looks like it does something yeah you know and it would like say we'd we'd have winding um flexible tubes and things so that you can see that everything looked like it it worked yeah sure yeah Um, um yeah. I, I, I was going to say, Martin, um, you've done a lot of recreations of craft and, and, and vehicles for collectors over the years. Um, if somebody came to you and said, uh, can you make me one? Um, would you, well, what, 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 one of the docking arms, well, the clamp at the front, would what, what, would you be happy to do that or would you kind of well, like Well, it'd be pointless it? unless you have a Nostromo, wouldn't it? I don't know. I mean, you know, um, Alien has got such a following now and people, you know, they... Uh, they they try to recreate you know um, some of the props that you find on, on, on in the corridors and you know and things like this. Yeah. Um, would you be up for it if anybody ever came to? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you? I'd, I'd do anything. I guess if somebody paid me to do it, but it would be difficult to get it exactly right because we just don't have the reference. I mean, right. I've got a lot of behind the scenes photos, um, but there wouldn't be enough there to show what the um, refinery, the large refinery, looked like. Um, right. There are photographs of the front being built with where we're adding it sort of halfway through adding detail to it. And also, of course, to the top surface as well, mm-hmm. which you could see, and we ran loads of pipe runs down there, you know, with lots of twists and curves in them, so they look like, rather than a boring straight tube, we'd always put in a you know, a Y-shaped tube or something, right, just, right. just to make it different. Um, do you know what actually happened to it? Was it all, all chucked away after filming? I have no idea. No. Not not that. No. Um, I would imagine it was probably chucked. Right. Um, the models that went were, were, were left 
to be packaged up were the, was the refinery, um, the large Nostromo model, the Narcissus, um, uh, which from the time it was decided that it would go to America to the time the models went, it, it took a walk. All right. And to this day, nobody knows what happened to it. Blimey. But somebody lifted it. Oh, dear. Um, they know who they are. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was, it's just the way things are, you know. I mean, okay. on 2001, they took all the models down to a junkyard and chucked them on the heap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got a photograph of the nine-foot diameter um, uh, space station. You know, yeah, it's just sitting on some wasteland somewhere, right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's on a wasteland. <laughs> that's up all in studios. You can see the big cooling towers in the background. Yeah, there's old ga- gas works in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's cooling towers, you can see. Yeah, dear, I, I dear. mean, I saw those. Uh, I went there and somebody told me that all the models were there. And one guy came past and he had a bicycle. He was on a bicycle and he saw the one of the pods. All right. They'd made a model of the pod. Um, so it was about a foot in diameter. And the story goes that he, he couldn't carry it and ride his bike at the same time. So he rushed home and got the car and came back and it had gone. Oh. Yeah, but where had it gone? <laughs> Who's well, got it? I mean, it, it, I mean, about if he, he was kicking himself, I would have, I would have tucked it away and found a way to carry it. I'd have left the bike behind yeah. and taken it. But of course, you know, you don't know this at the time. I mean, when we were working on Alien, it was a B picture. Mm. being done by a director who'd only made one feature film and otherwise had done commercials. Yeah. And, of course, came the famous um, thing that Ridley had done, which was the Hovis advert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where they, for some reason, speak with a northern accent, which is quite funny because um, it was actually shot in Shaftesbury in Dorset <laughs> on Gold Street. Right. Um, which is a very, it's a one in four hill. It's all cobbled. It's all got thatch cottages all the way up the sides and with a little bit of careful lighting that Ridley was very good at, getting it mm. very sort of atmospheric. Mm. Um, it, it, and, of course, you've got the little lad, you know, half an hour before I went to bed, I used to walk <laughs> up hill, you know. And, and it's just a joke knowing it's in Dorset, which yeah. is about 20 miles from where I am now. Blimey. Okay, all right, well, well... Thank you very much for your time today, Martin, uh, to take time out to talk to us about this. Um, I, I, I think it's overlooked, this sequence. Uh, everybody talks about this, that and the other on Alien. And, you know, I think it quite unfairly gets uh, overlooked, this sequence. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've also, I've got quite a soft spot, spot for this docking uh, clamp. Um, because do you remember the book of Alien? It came out when Alien came out. There was a tiny, tiny photo of, of the docking arm in there yeah. alongside a photo of some Tamiya boxes. And I used to study that photo because it was the only photo in the whole book where it was actually just in regular studio lighting and I could look at it and I could see all this detail, which you couldn't do on these moody shots yeah. of uh, the Nostromo. You yeah, know? I, could, I could probably, you know, get I've got I've got some photographs of, of that arm which are quite close, and they they show part of the the the, the long tube tubular bit. It's, mm-hmm. it's a square tube um, that's stuck out, and you can see the detail on that. So I, I would know how to detail it and make a model of it, right? Um, because it's a repetitive thing all the way around. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, but um, it it would be 
really pointless. I mean, I guess somebody who's got, I think somebody bought out a kit recently of an Ostromo. Um, uh, do you know what size that was? No, no, no. I, I didn't know there was a new one out. Well, apparently there's that. Well, I don't know what size there were ever out. You know, I've never seen a kit anywhere of an Ostromo. Well, there was a Halcyon one back in the early 90s, and that would have been, oh, I don't know, about, about a foot long. It was a vinyl yeah, kit. Yeah, it was, it was shocking. It was nothing like it. It really wasn't. They, they just had not got it right at all. Mm. The shape evolved. You know, the shape of Nostromo evolved. It's quite a funny little thing, just as a, an end piece. Um, there's, there's quite a funny thing where... Um, the the full size drawing of an outline of Nostromo, just an outline, was pinned on a wall with loads of pieces of paper, mm -hmm. right? And they'd all been stuck together with like sticky tape and pinned along the wall so you could get an idea of mm -hmm. the overall shape that Nostromo would be when seen from the side. Well, while we were away one night, um, one of the drop sections in the drawings. Um, came away and it slipped mm -hmm. so that the um, main body section got a kind of a little bend in it. Right. Right. Well, when the guy who made the, the basic wooden framework onto which we added all the plastic kit detail and plating, um, it had a kink in it. <laughs> we shouldn't so be there. So it, it was recreated. Nobody, uh, nobody supposedly noticed. I didn't notice um, <laughs> that the drawing had actually slipped, and it didn't actually have a kink there, which it costed <laughs> now all the all the drawings and whatever. Um, a guy sent me a set of drawings as a present, which was really nice. And I took a look at them, and he got it spot on. But mm -hmm. how long it took him to do that drawing, I couldn't imagine. Oh goodness me. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, Martin. As I say, thanks again uh, for today. Okay. Yep. Thank you. All right. right. Cheers, Martin. Bye bye. Cheerio. Bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Um, one thing Martin doesn't mention, um, and this has always puzzled me, is the the, the Nostromo is obviously a massive ship. I mean, it's you know mm. huge. We never get any kind of inkling. I don't think in the movie that there's anybody ever sets foot on board the refinery. Mm. You know, the refinery is this thing that's just getting towed behind, and I think all of the action in the movie does take place in the Stromo. I don't think we ever get an idea that anybody kind of goes through that top section, walks along what is essentially the docking arm, and enters the refinery. Yeah. Because the refinery must be absolutely ginormous, mustn't it? Yeah, really? to, 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 how many million tons of ore was it? 20 yeah. million tons or something like that? It, it must be enormous. It, is it just storage containers then, you know, with this small tug pulling it along? I, 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 I always kind of get the feeling that, you know, wherever the Nostromo's been for this, it's just kind of towing it back. It's kind of almost like, you know, I, I always imagine something like Outland where you've got this kind of planet of miners. They sort of load this thing up in space, the Nostromo goes, picks it up, mm. drags it back. I don't think any of the Nostromo crew of miners would do the work. They're just essentially the, the crew of the ship. You know, you've got a couple of engineers, you've got a scientist, um, you know, struck med medic, um, and the captain and the first officers. Um, I don't think they actually did any of the mining, but whatever's happening in that refinery is meant to be happening automated, I think. It's processing it as it's returning to Earth. Yeah, because do, like do you remember... 
Yeah, do you remember Ridley Scott? He he had um, storyboarded these little drones that were supposed to be scooting around while the crew was asleep called mice, which were these like little robots. So maybe if there are robots of that type in the alien universe, you know, maybe there were more sophisticated, larger ones Mm. on the refinery. And it is, as you say, totally automated. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 one of those high kind of weird mysteries where you think, in a way, it's it's nice that it stays a mystery, but in another way, you know, it's the type of thing that you can talk about. Well, yeah, what is in there? You know, why why didn't they sort of ditch the Nostromo uh, or load the alien in the refinery and then sort of leave leave it behind? You know, it's almost like the refinery. It must be accessible to to them. You know, you'd assume there's there's doors and airlocks and gantries and you know areas in there that can access. But yeah. They never seem to do that. Maybe maybe you've answered it there in that, you know, if you could do that, maybe they would have suggested that as some way of trapping the creature was to put it onto the refinery. Maybe maybe they can't get into it without a spacesuit. Maybe it's purely sort of like, you know, the the toy and that is it. You know, maybe they don't actually have access to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, what you said about the docking arm, I mean, you know, the amount of detail that Grebel's on there. And I think, you know, he does mention this thing about, you know, certain people have an innate ability to lay down Grebel's in the right order. Mm. Um, And and that that is a lot easier, in in my opinion, if you have like they have multiple versions of stuff, you know, if you've only got two of one part, it's a bit difficult. But if you've got 20 or 30 or 100 of each part, then it's so much more easy to, to do what they did. Yeah, if you can lay them out in a grid pattern, so you yeah, have repetitive yeah. forms or you stack something uh, yeah. as well, you know, that really helps. Yeah, but yeah. we don't have the budget that they had. No, no, it's, it's really interesting, <laughs> you know, what he says about this, you know, little guy in his model shop supplying all of these miniatures, you know. Yeah, especially, especially the space shuttles. I mean, we're not in that bit, but the when we get round to discussing, you know, the detonation of the Nostromo and you see the engine room and you see the 200 space shuttle kits at you, um, yeah. in use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just staggering that yeah. to, to, to have that ability to go out and just and just do all I, that, you know. I also like what Martin says there, and I've certainly tried to do this myself. It's trying to sort of find a kit which you can use sort of most parts of. And, you know, uh, if it is the Centurion tank, I think he mentions that. Um, that'd be really nice to have a look in next time I'm in Hobbycraft because, yeah. um, you know, th- there's no worse than sort of buying a kit for parts and finding there's only sort of like 20% yeah. that are usable. You know, it's so good when you can think, oh, yeah, you know. Um, I've got a feeling um, the one he's talking about, I think I know what it is. It's a Tamiya and it's a German World War Two one. And I can't even... Even if I had it written down in front of me, I couldn't begin to try and pronounce it. It's one of these things that's like P Z K W, and right. it's it's sort of like an armored car. Right. They used it. They used it uh, for the probe droid in Empire Strikes Back. The probe droid's outer oh, craft. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where they use like four or five of them all yeah. together. Yeah, um, to kind of form like a kind of a. A hexagonal sort of thing. Yeah, but the underside, because he was talking about the chassis, they had the most incredible um, detailed underside to them. Just just that one piece of the kit. You didn't have to add add anything. I have to put these up on Facebook as well. Um, I think that's what he's talking about there. Yeah, it's it's kind of like 
like a, it's not a half track. It's kind of like a, it's got wheels, hasn't it? It's got yeah, tires. It's, it's got like six wheels. It's a six wheeled armored car sort of thing, yeah. quite high up off the ground. I'll send you a photo later. So yeah, uh, I, I've certainly had that. I, I do know which one you mean, but yeah, I do know. I turned one of them into a spaceship not too long ago, and it, and it went really well because most of your work's already done for you because all the details already there. You know, you just need to add a few bits, and and you've got a very yeah. busy looking shape. You know, but you know. Martin, you know, I think he was probably like, in a way, uh, even before, like, you know, I'd sort of realised who the guys at ILM were, I'd obviously seen interviews with uh, Matt Irvin and Martin Bauer talking about, so they were like my sort of real childhood heroes of, mm. you know, model making. Uh, I knew, obviously, uh, people like Dennis Murin and Richard Edlund, but they weren't necessarily the model makers as such for Star Wars. They were more like... Supervisors. Yeah, but when I sort of seen the interview in Starburst, which, you know, you, you'll, you'll remember the edition where he's got the Dan Dare spaceship and yeah. stuff. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Did you ever was... see him when he was on Blue Peter, when he had all his spaceships on Blue Peter? No, I, I do remember... Uh, a lad on Blue Peter with a spaceship, but it wasn't Martin. It was, I'd, I'd love to have known who that other lad was and where he went on to, but I've seen the pictures of Martin, but I think I was probably a little bit too young to have yeah, seen no, it. I remember seeing that, and it's like, you can make a spaceship out of a yogurt pot. I think that's what started it off. Yeah. But yeah, as you say, when Starlog came out, he started being interviewed um, in the magazines. Yeah. And um, and that's it was just totally and utterly inspirational. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I can do that. I've got a toy shop that sells models. I can use a loo roll, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all this sort of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Martin said this himself, and I think it's completely true, where people sometimes can say they can spot a Martin Bauer model. Hmm. And it's like, you know, I think that that's a, a great thing because that's like me saying I can spot a Frank Frazetta painting. I think it's nice that, you know, um, he has a style. But with Alien, obviously, he's trying to fit his style in with... The look of the other model makers, Bill Pearson and John Sorensen and Phil Ray, um, and they have to work on the same kind of, uh, you know, sort of um, level. All work from the same page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. he, he he can't probably. I mean, you know, he can add some of his own twists and turns in there in terms of the detail. But yeah, he, um, it's not like he would look at that and go, "Oh, that's definitely Martin Bauer's style." Yeah, because wasn't that the case when they first, he and Bill Pearson were working on the refinery? Didn't Bill Pearson, he did the spires and Martin did the domes on the underside and the middle bit. Right. And then Bill Pearson did the spires. So you you could have two different styles there because the, 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 the shapes and the forms were that much yeah. different, you know. But, but it must be quite disheartening when, you know, you've kind of built this model, you've sprayed it bright yellow or whatever or made it look like an industrial thing and then someone comes along and says uh sorry we want a different color because you know what it's like if you know the more layers of spray paint you put on the more detail gets obliterated yeah especially yeah. if it's subtle things like panel lines or just very very thin styrene card it's just gonna start getting lost nothing how many layers of paint did Nostromo probably have about? It, it had an awful lot, especially in its yellow incarnation, because in its yellow incarnation, not only did you have panel lines, you know, scribed on and drawn on, a lot of them were shaded, weren't they, by using templates. Right. So you had a quite a, it, it, it was a yellow with, with shades of yellows and greens, you know, and it was quite a, a, a beautiful thing. Which yeah. then got sprayed in grey primer in its initial uh, yeah. second second incarnation, you know. Yeah, that, it's. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But, you know, these, these things happen. and um, It must be soul-destroying. But, it, you know, it's the governor that's saying do it, so you've got no choice but to do it. Yeah. 
No, it's 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 weird, but yeah, it would have been interesting to see what the Nostromo would have looked like yellow, because like you said, it was it's almost like a JCB, isn't it? It's like this giant yeah. industrial tow, tow truck. Just, so you, just the colour infers that it's industrial just by looking at it, yeah. doesn't it? And, and that almost harkens back to kind of, I mean, you know, Chris Foss was one of the original designers. Now, none of mm. his stuff was used, but he obviously did the stuff with chevrons and... Uh, he liked his yellow and black, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, so you, you could almost see the, the Foss influence possibly spilling into it at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, but you could imagine it with the, the checkerboard patterns and the uh, the chevrons and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the the actual writing on the outside has been very Foss-esque. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, Ron Cobb. Um, Ron, Ron Cobb, he's uh, out of all the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the the science fiction illustrators and, and designers, you know, he's my yeah. favourite. It's just something, something about Ron Cobb's designs I... I, I, I I latch on to far more than the likes as brilliant as he is, as, as Sid Mead is. Um, there's just, yeah. there's just something about Ron Cobb's designs that, uh, I don't know. I, I just find them far more, uh, interesting for want of a better word. Yeah. I, I, th- I think he's kind of like in that halfway spot between kind of Sid Mead and the 2000 AD artist, isn't he? You know, mm. he's kind of in that, he, he's more of a car. Well, he, his background was in cartoons anyway. Yeah, he did uh, political cartoons, didn't he? Yeah, so, so he's got a real cartoony style, but he's also got a fantastic design sensibility. Uh, the funny thing is about the Nostromo, though, is obviously, uh, you know, the, the early version, when it was the Snark, was, was this kind of like ship with, you know, the little dome and the sort of radar that plugged into the top. But mm. it didn't appear to be towing anything at that point. There was never any drawings of the Snark pulling anything. Hmm. I think the ref- I think originally it was probably just a ship drifting in space. But, it's basically uh, like Dark Star, isn't it? it it's all yeah, about the one yeah. ship and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when the refinery sort of came into the plot, or whether that was you know in in any of the rewrites. Um, I do have the original screenplay by Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusset here. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, but I know I, I sort of. I do agree with what Walter Hill, David Gaylor and Gordon Carroll said that it was a bit of a mess because there was lots of stuff that needed trimming down. Um, you know, lots of, um, I don't know if you, you remember, but in the original screenplay, what happens is they actually, the land on the planet and find the derelict spaceship. And when they find the pilot inside the derelict spaceship, he's actually scribed the shape of like a pyramid onto yeah. his console. Yeah. They then go back to the ship and talk about this, then go back out and then and find, find the pyramid, pyramid. And yeah. find the pyramid. And and I think uh, they sort of said in an interview that we were sort of seeing the same thing twice and getting the information we've just seen as an audience relayed back to the crew. Hmm. And they just said, merge two sequences into one. Um, you know, so... And, and uh, going a bit off tangent, but I don't know if you remember, the, the Dan O'Bannon characters had very weird names, like Standard and Roby and I was Melkinis. going to say, yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah odd. And, <laughs> and I mean, okay, I know Ripley's not like the most normal name for a, a person, you know, uh, I've ever heard, but uh, Melkinis and Standard and Roby were just weird names. Mm, yeah. Almost sci-fi names as opposed to, you know, being um, in real world. So I can, again, I can see why they did change a lot of stuff from Bannon's yeah. screenplay. And some of the uh, the original dialogue was a bit hokey, wasn't it? It, it, it owed a lot to uh, um, Dan O'Bannon's, you know, love of uh, 50s science fiction films, I think. Well, I mean, he, even Ridley Scott will admit himself that this 
was a big picture, really, wasn't it? You know, well, everybody thought it was a bit like like Martin said, you know, everybody thought they were making a B movie. It's like Star Wars. They just thought it was a, you know, a, 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 a B movie. Yeah, and, and I firmly believe if it wasn't for the fact that they had H.R. Giger on board and such a unique alien, it probably would have still ended up being a big picture. Mm. Because without the the derelict and without the facehugger and the chestburster and the final alien in his fantastic style, we would have got just probably like a, a standard monster. And it would have been a good monster movie still and probably still a good sci-fi movie, but it wouldn't have been the same movie we finally got. And maybe then you wouldn't have had, you know, uh, a sequel to it and a sequel to that and a sequel to that. It would have been a standalone, like Humanoid or something like that. It would have just stood alone, you know? Yeah. Um, um, Have you ever seen um, the, there was a book a few years out called um, The Star Wars Storyboards. Did you ever yeah. see that? It's the Joe yeah. Johnson storyboards, and the film was told via the storyboards. I, I, I would really like to see them produce the because you know Ridley Scott, he 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 did quite an extensive amount of he storyboarded everything, didn't he? Yeah, I'd like to see a book released of Alien done in storyboards because I want to see what Martin was talking about about this like three pronged cla- crab yeah. claw thing, you know? Yeah, I think he he. Uh... What do you call them? Ridley Grams, isn't it? Ridley Grams, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird because whenever you see storyboards, the, the very sort of uh, 4.3 type orientation mm. um, format, aren't there? He doesn't, he, he was not drawing his storyboards. He was using like a standard TV storyboard template for them. Well, that's his but, background, so I guess yeah, that's the. Yeah, he, he, he probably scrounged them all from the BBC <laughs> when he was working there. But I, I always remember seeing these pictures, and I thought that's really weird. It's kind of like it's 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 not even square. It's got the rounded edges, you know, like the slightly curved edges, like yeah. a TV format. Yeah. And he wasn't even drawing kind of like the black bars. He just would fill the frames. So you think, yeah, it's quite a, a thing from going from four point three to the cinemascope he ended up using. Yeah. Which obviously shows these things in greater detail. It could be that. Well, yeah. You... Fa- Sorry. I was going to say it could be that you know with them being um, square like that or four, four, four to three, you know if 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 you had pages and pages of it, it it could end up looking like a, a comic strip, which would be in keeping because you know he, he got a lot of his his inspiration from heavy metal and and Mobius, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was he was. I mean, he's a he's a you know great artist. Now, again, I think it's the situation is um, he's he's one of these directors, um, a bit like James Cameron, who actually knows what he wants and can draw what he wants mm, yeah he, you know it, it must be quite hard working for a director who doesn't have that sort of artistic sensibility in terms of being able to say what they exactly what they want but he can put pen to paper and physically draw yeah. it well Walter, I, I, I think martin says doesn't he in that little bit of interview there that uh you know ridley sort of drew the clamp what mm. he wanted and then i think then martin went away and sort of redrew what he kind of thought ridley wanted you know, fr- from his original drawing, you know. Mm. Um, and I love it. Like I, a... I, I, I love this process where it can actually be a collaboration. I mean, Martin has said before that it's the only time where he's worked one-on-one with a director rather than having go-betweens in between that you went through, that the director said, this is what I'm thinking of it looking like. Martin goes away, does a sketch, says, how about this? And then the director says, go ahead and make it, you know? Yeah. 
But it it's another one of these situations, I think, with a movie like Aliens. I think only Martin and um, and Bill Pearson are credited as miniatures, aren't there? And obviously, then you've got Brian Johnson, who's the effects supervisor. Mm. But um, people like Phil Ray, John Sorensen, and probably several other people who worked on the miniatures, um, you know, never got any credit for it. Mm. Um, you know, on, on the actual film. I mean, you know, if if you you go through the type of forums and groups we do you know you know you know who these people are uh, but yeah it's, it's a shame that these people never got any credit i take it you've seen on youtube that i think it's a five-part series on on you know the making of alien where you know they that that they that they interview an, a ton of people all, all to do yeah, with the that, miniature that, work that's uh, the, the is it law somebody surname's law He's the guy that the optical effects, I think, on work. Yeah, he interviews pretty much everybody. Yeah, because everybody who, who he interviews, they all know him. It's very evident, you know, that they're mates from yeah. their time on the film, you know. Yeah, I love these photographs, you know, the behind the scenes photographs of people like Martin and Bill and people, you know. And it's just that the, the, the kind of the anoraks they're wearing and things like that, you know. I, I think uh, it. I, I think it's Bill Pearson in one of them. It's like, I used to have that you know, when I was at yeah. college. That's my old yeah, jacket. That, like a, a jacket with kind of quilted parts to it. Yeah, almost. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And it was polyester. And, and if you walked on a polyester carpet with that, the amount of electric shocks every time you try to open a door. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen, I guess you have. Uh, have you ever seen that photo of, you know, uh, at Bray, um, they were making a Mary Millington film and she came round. Have you ever seen that photo? That, that's right, yeah, where she's dressed as the policewoman. <laughs> policewoman yeah. in her suspenders. Um, maybe I'll put that on Facebook, maybe I won't. I'll, the, I'll have to go the, back and double check it. <laughs> there's one where she's actually sort of pretending to paint part of the miniature then. There's that's one right. She's got, yeah, the she's got team like, with her. Yeah, and she's got a leg hoisted up or something like that. I don't think yeah. Martin and Bill were actually used to pose like that when they were painting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or wear that outfit. Right, we're but going it's, down it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> because I think um, the the film was shot at Shepparton, wasn't it? But I think the miniature work was done at Bray. And I think yeah. there's about a 40, 40 mile difference between the two studios. Yeah. It's 30, 40, um, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not like it's just like down the road. It's, uh, no, and you know, it's a bit of London as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know whether the miniatures were then shot Bray or whether they were shipped to Shepparton. Do, do you, do you know if they were? No, I don't were... know. I don't know. I, I, mean, I, yeah. I guess they were shipped, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine all that model work just travelling along the, the the roads of London, you know, in the back mm. of a van? <laughs> because Ridley's, again, he's another one of these directors, I think, kind of like what happened, as far as I can gather from the documentaries, is the miniature work was getting shot, wasn't it? Uh, and then I think after the end of the actual live action, Ridley then reviewed the miniature work and didn't particularly like some of it and mm. decided to almost become the director of miniature photography. Mm. You know, so when you do see the documentaries of the Nostromo landing, what we were talking about with the the Freon jets and blasting, yeah. he's literally there on a scaffold, isn't he? Sort of directing yeah. it. It wasn't and, a case and of looking just through the, the viewpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like let the effects crew get on with it. It was like you know, I want to, and I think it probably. I have seen um, you know some of the test footage on the DVDs of the Nostromo flying by, and yeah, it's not as good as the final result. Now they think certainly, yeah. you know. Ridley probably did add a lot to it, you know. I think he, I think he even brought Derek Vanlin with him, the director of photography. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so he actually was using the same director of photography, the miniatures as well. 
uh, to keep that consistency between the shots. Yeah, that's the word, isn't it? He wanted consistency. What he was filming in one studio had to match what was happening in another studio. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it, 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 it's good that he actually sort of decided to do that because he could have quite easily been, you know, like you said, an inconsistent between the quality of the effects and the quality of the yeah. actual live action. And it would have jarred, but yeah. it doesn't, it, it fits perfectly. But of course, that, that came round to bite him, didn't it? Because in England at that time, the director could do that. But when he went to America and made Blade Runner, that's, that, that's what got their backs up, where the director wanted to, you know, direct the, uh, the effects work, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was a lot more rules and regulations, I think, back then, wasn't there, as to who mm. could do what and things. And uh, So, yeah, that, that's all politics of the time. Indeed, so. indeed. But, oh, OK, yeah. Andrew, what, uh, are you ready for a rating? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? All right. So uh, it's, it's got to be a 10. Straight yeah. out 10, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, it's such a... It's like one of my favourite films of all time. It's up there, like, with, you know, the original Star Wars in 2001. Um, such an impact on me. Still has such an impact on me. You know, it's, it's, it's just one of those films I'm always returning to. I'm quite happy to sit and look at stills from it. You know, go through the, um, the photo novel, look through the behind-the-scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very inspirational. And yeah, it's got to be a ten. The whole sequence, the, the the goldsmith music, the sets, the visual effects, the miniatures, everything fits for that sequence for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm matching you. I'm giving it a ten as well for exactly the same reasons you said. I mean, I can put that on. I I, I it hasn't dated to me. Um, I can't really criticize any of it you know um i I think it's a staggering bit of uh effects work so yeah it gets 10 from me as well yeah you said there's there's nothing i think uh i I did see an interview just funnily enough the other day with ridley scott uh talking about the the new movie covenant uh and the interviewer uh, a young chap had you know probably wasn't even glinting his uh, parents eyes when the first one was out said you know, would you change anything in the original film Alien, you know, with today's technology? And actually Ridley did turn around and say, no, it's perfect. He actually said that, you know, he said, there's nothing I would change in that film. It's perfect. So, but, you know, he wouldn't go, he wouldn't go back and alter the special effects. That's what he was kind of saying. See, that's a curious thing to say because, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Covenant's been out, um, at least here in the UK, a week now. And, you know, um, somebody's interviewed him and I haven't read it um, because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the film tomorrow. Um, but he, he he's was just, apparently he's justifying why the uh, alien or aliens in Covenant are all CGI. Adam Savage on some of his tested videos has been going around the sets and there was one where there was definitely a practical alien they were looking at but see you know some other people seem to think it was purely for kind of reference for the CG guys you know um, it's it's hard to say because you know CG does obviously open up avenues that a practical thing can't do but um, you know it also then creates a whole thing of problems it's a weird thing cgi i've seen so many people with alien covenants sort of turn around and say the cgi is absolutely dreadful this is harkening back to kind of alien resurrection Hmm. but then i've seen other people say it looks absolutely amazing okay so it's very it's very sort of you know of a personal opinion but uh you know i i sort of think the alien at this point for me personally is like lost its impact it's 
you know, in the first film, it was uh, an incredible creature. In the second film, they did something different with it, and it still was good. But it become kind of that Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Michael yeah. Myers of the horror world. Yeah. Um, you know, in the sci-fi world, where the more you see it, the more walked down it becomes, the less frightened you are of it. Um, you know, and I think they've got to that point now. And it's been so sort of designed, redesigned sort of every single time as well. Yeah. Um, I know C- C- Cameron adhered closely to H.I. Giga's original and just took the dome off, um, you know, tried to adhere, but by the time it was getting to the third and fourth and the Predator movies, it was becoming much more organic in its design, uh, like a lot sleeker and things like that. And I think it's just, yeah, it's it's lost its impact for me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, so the, the phrase you said there it, it, it is exactly right. Uh, watered down, you know. Yeah. Every time you've made a film, it's watered down. Um, the alienness of it. That's what I love about this first film is nothing is explained. Um, and, you know, and that's absolutely fine. The film ends and it, it, it's a perfect standalone film all by itself. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I was talking to a friend about this and he said the same thing. And, you know, the only thing you would think of afterwards was, well, eventually she would return to Earth and tell the people on Earth that there was a, a spaceship on the planet. Hmm. But, you know, that whether that would be you know, because she says uh, at the end of the film, you know, hopefully I'll get, I'll reach the frontier in a few weeks and get picked up. Yeah. So in, th- in theory, you know, if they'd have done another sequel uh, that wasn't aliens, you know, she might have got back to Earth and said, hey, there's a spaceship back there oh, yeah. full of alien eggs. And then they sent the team to find them anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does, you know, if, if, if you just had that one film in your collection, then you are perfectly fine with it. You know, Absolutely you fine. It, it, it's like yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing. I never want a sequel to that. I, I, I like the fact that it's left up to us to decide is either of the two at the end, are they, you know, the alien or not, you know. Um, yeah. um, fantastic. Same, same with Alien. As much as I, you know, enjoy Aliens, I'd have been still been perfectly happy if there had only been the one Alien. Same with Star Wars. If there had only just been that. In, in fact, in a way with Star Wars, I would rather that there hadn't been any more Star Wars films because they have a happy ending, you yeah, know? Yeah. Now, I mean, with these new films that are coming out, I mean, Return of the Jedi, that was a happy ending, and you like to think that their life, you know, after that is, is you know, mm, um, yeah. going to be okay. But now, with, with with these new films coming out, it's being dragged on, <laughs> isn't it? You know, the it, wars never just, end. It's just when people, you know, sort of say this word, you know, like I'm a big fan of the alien franchise and you think it is it's just a franchise now that's, that's it, it. You yeah know, yeah it's 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 been comic books it's been toys it's been games and you know it's hard to imagine back in 1979 if you'd have told ridley scott dan o'bannon ron shuss at hiv and all those people that you know you're still going to be here like you know nearly 40 years later with more movies and toys and you know uh, things like that and almost get to the point where people are just getting sick of it yeah, you know, I, you're absolutely um, right. If if you said to them in '79, um, you know, one day you'll be able to get, you know, alien cookie jars, you know, yeah, and all this yeah. and plushies and stuff oh, like this, pop, pop, pop vinyl figures, you know, <laughs> things like that, you know. Um, and, and and like you said, you know, the the, the fact that um, you, you know that it, it's one of those stories in a way where it works so perfectly by itself, and it's quite. I mean, Cameron's sequel essentially was a retread of the first film, but an action version of it. Mm. You know, it, it, it follows a lot of the same beats, and it is quite a difficult thing to do. You know, just kind of keep bringing back an alien 
And okay, with Prometheus, which I haven't seen, I do understand he tried to take it in new directions, but as soon as you start taking it in new directions, you get the fans saying, it's not an alien film anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, I want something new. Mm. But you think, well, he's, he's tried to give you something new, and now you've whinged, and now he's done Alien Covenant to try and appease those fans by the sound of it. Yeah. And even now, there's still a very split opinion. And I think, uh, this is my personal opinion, so not having seen him, but you know, after the Phantom Menace came out, people went to see Attack of the Clones and said it was better than the Phantom Menace. Yeah. But then when you actually sit down and think about it, you think it wasn't really. It was just equally as bad, if not probably worse yeah. in some respects. I think that's the problem with this is people are just wanting better than yeah. Prometheus. See, it's better than Prometheus. But then I think people are then sitting down and going, it isn't really. Uh, it's yeah, actually yeah. It's, it's, it's on par with, if not slightly, you know, dumbed down. Um, so... You know that's why I won't bother seeing him. I'm I'm in that thing now of just I can't if I can't be bothered I just don't bother. And people might say, well, you don't know until you've seen it, but you know. But you don't need to see it if you're happy with Alien and Aliens and yeah, exactly uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and you yeah. well just watch those two and and yeah 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 you know it's it if I was a movie critic fair enough you know if my job was to sort of go and watch movies and then review them then yeah I'd, I'd go and see every thing on the cinema and give an opinion but you know i'm not a movie critic mm. and you know i just like the ones that i like and um you know and i prefer to stay like that but yeah uh, well, fair enough uh, mm. all right okay well that's us putting the world to rights right <laughs> all right well, well thanks for your time today andrew that's been a pleasure and uh yeah i'll speak to you soon and thanks everyone if you care to go over to facebook and uh, see what we're putting up on there if anybody out there has got a picture of the three three pronged original claw we, we'd love to see it <clears throat> okay thanks everybody and see you next time bye bye